on this episode of Skunk on the Table. With disaffiliations, there are fewer yes. churches. Um, and with fewer churches, there are fewer appointments. Churches have a part in this process. I mean, that's why they fill out that form. And there's a couple options. It's for both of them. Yeah. Like, yes, we're working together well. Uh, I don't know. The pastor can go or stay. It's okay. And then, like, get me out of here. Or get the pastor out of here. Um, and it is prayed over. I mean, the time that we spend here, we open every single day that we make appointments with worship. Skunk on the Table! Virginia Conference, welcome to the third episode of Skunk on the Table. This is a video, podcast, and article series that is focused on topics of importance to our conference and the denomination, and our focus is on doing it as simply and clearly as we can. Today on our episode is the Reverend Dr. Sarah Calvert, who is the Northern Virginia District Superintendent, and the Reverend Jesse Colwell, who is the Director for the Center of Clergy Excellence. So thank you both for being here. Our topic today is clergy appointments and the appointment season. So we're going to get into it right now. So Sarah, we are actually right in the middle of appointment season. We are. Yes, we you are. just walked out of the room, came in here. I literally just walked out of the room. I did. Yes. So can you talk to us about what is appointment season? How are appointments made? What are you and the bishop and the other DSs up to? Well, appointment season starts in December in the local church when the SPRCs meet with their pastors and they discern whether the mission of the church goes forward best with the current uh, pastor or pastors that they have in the church or whether there needs to be a change. And uh, that information gets conveyed to the district superintendent and the su district superintendent brings that to the table during appointment season, which usually starts in January um, and uh, will run mostly through April. And Jesse, how does your office fit into appointment season? <laughs> oh, so many fun ways. So basically, um, my office is in charge of the statuses of all the clergy, and the DSs need to know who is eligible for appointment. And so sometimes that doesn't change, right? You can remain in the status for a certain amount of years, or sometimes you're changing from one status to another. Sometimes you're going on leave. Um, sometimes, you know, you need to step out of ministry for a minute, and that's okay. And so I communicate to the district superintendents, people who've had status changes, and they're already aware of this. This isn't really, you know, a surprise. Sometimes we have people on Minute Question 16, which is licensed local pastors who are not currently serving. And so that's another pool of folks to draw from who are ready to re-enter ministry. So it also is tied to salary. So depending on what your status is, it's also how much you're eligible for. There's minimum set each year for that. And so the DS takes all that information and the gifts of the pastor and the needs of the church and then decides uh, prayerfully with the Holy Spirit and the bishop where that person will go. So it's a whole thing. It's like a big old jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. And it keeps changing. Yes, sometimes. because we have, we have the clergy status and then we also have the church status. You know, mm -hmm. some churches mm -hmm. are particularly strategically important for a variety of reasons or have particularized needs, maybe a particular language they need to have, or they've got a cultural change going on all around them, and so right, we need to have a different right. kind of pastor in there. Sometimes we need a new planter, so that's a whole different set of gifts that uh, right. uh, are need to be ascertained. So sometimes we move people uh, not based on what their church decides or what even the clergy decides, but on the missional right. needs of both mm -hmm. the district and the conference. So, so many layers to appointment right. season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Every year, yeah. every year, you all clergy in the Virginia Conference are eligible to receive a new appointment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so every year, and that's why there's a big sigh of relief at the fixing of appointments, 
at annual conference because then it's officially official and everyone waits for that document to make sure that they have in fact been appointed yeah. to where they thought they were becoming. Oh. When the bishop says so, then it's done. <laughs> it's real. Well, and it's like you say, Jesse, like we yeah. hear itineracy, mm -hmm. but for people who don't know, what does that mean yes. for our clergy? So as you have done fun videos about, um, we have always been itinerant and circuit riders and some pastors would go to multiple churches to do the sacraments, that's part of who we are. What that means for us today is that um, all pastors win um, part of the things that they take a vow for is that they will go from place to place to preach the gospel. And so we're all itinerant. Although I will say there is something called limited itineracy, and it's a form you can fill out. And let's say that you had a child who needed certain medical care or your spouse had a job in which they couldn't move. And so pastors can fill out that form and the DSs do their best to honor it. But sometimes it's not possible. Um, so it's really about the relationship between the DS and the person and the needs of the church. And it's hard because it's always changing. So. And the focal point I have to say is uh, with the district superintendents and with all the changes that we've been through right. in the last year, there's a lot more people for the district superintendents to have to know, a lot more churches for them yes. to get to know. So it has been a particularly a complicated season the last two years mm -hmm. with most of us um, having two districts now to, to mm -hmm. get to know worth of uh, right. people. So it's, it's a lot of needs and a lot of desires, a lot of strategy. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a big giant jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Well, with the little pieces. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Lots and lots of them That are too. strange yeah. shapes yeah. that don't yeah. always yeah. make sense. But well, once yeah. a, um, uh, a decision is made, um, we will introduce the pastor to the church through the SPRC. Mm -hmm. The SPRC, the Staff Parish Relations Committee, and in some churches it's yes. a leadership board, um, are the people that meet the new pastor first. Um, and this year we have that change where um, instead of announcing rolling as we have in the past, we're going to be announcing in April. Um, April 23rd will be the date um, that churches will learn if their current pastor is staying and if they're not, then who their new pastor will be. It'll all be done at the same time. So this is a new thing we're doing yeah. and it's to help our new bishop who is trying to uh, get to know churches. Mm -hmm. As many things as I have to learn with two districts, She's got eight districts to figure out that are all new to her. So uh, right. churches and districts and, and all that work uh, uh, require a little, bit, a little bit of adjustment this year. Mm -hmm. So, so Jesse, we know that we have a number of different clergy statuses um, in yes, our conference. And people might not realize, you know, there are different people put in place. There might be lay supply at a church. There might be an elder. So can you talk about sure. what are our number of different clergy statuses? So we'll talk about the most common clergy statuses for those who are being appointed this year, shall we? So um, the first one that we probably have the most of are licensed local pastors. And you can be a part-time licensed local pastor or a full-time licensed local pastor. Sometimes you'll have two part-time appointments that add up to a full, some, so there's all different types of percentages. And that matters also for our healthcare plan. To be eligible, you have to be a certain percentage. So we have our licensed local pastors, we have our commissioned members, which is our provisional elders and deacons, and they're in the residency process for three to eight years, depending on when they feel led to apply. And then we have our full member elders and full member deacons, ordained elders and deacons. We have retired pastors serving. We have retired elders serving. We have retired licensed local pastors serving. And we also have a lot of lay supply, which is um, lay folks who have gifts for ministry who will fill pulpits. And after two years, the discipline does say 
you should move either to a licensed local pastor or discern where God is leading you. Sometimes we have certified lay um, members there too, and they will fill a pulpit. So there's a lot of creative ways. We also have this transfer process, which is a whole thing too. So we have people from other conferences and their status is other Methodist. And so they apply to come be eligible for an appointment. And that's a bishop to bishop conversation. Mm -hmm. We also have what's called other fellowship. And those are people from other denominations who come into our conference who are already ordained, who would like to keep their credentials but go through our transfer process and are vetted and then are eligible to serve in our pulpits. So those are the most common statuses that we have in our conference. Um, although, you know, there's other statuses too. There's OPs, which is other provisionals from other conferences. And I think there's like 26 statuses altogether. But those are probably the most common. Did I miss anyone, Sarah? Did you, did you get associate ministers in there? Oh, yeah, associate yeah. members. We <laughs> yeah, can't forget the associate members. The associate Thank members. you. <laughs> so associate members are folks who've been in ministry for over five years consecutively, and they have met the educational requirements and the discipline, and they go through the full membership interviews, and they become an associate member, which means that they don't lose their license upon retirement like licensed local mm -hmm. pastors do. And um, our associate members are wonderful and most of them have been in ministry for 20 to 30 years in our conference yeah. and are invaluable. Mm -hmm. Thank you yeah. for reminding me yeah, about no, associate members. members. We don't have we too many of them anymore. We love you, associate we, we like members. Them. Um, which, we won this year, too. Yeah. Which leads to another issue, which is um, yeah. with disaffiliations. There are fewer yes. churches. Um, and with fewer churches, there are fewer appointments. And so um, there are guaranteed appointments for all of our elders. Our elders mm -hmm. will be found if they're in... Um, in a good status, they'll mm -hmm. be found um, right. a, an appointment. Our um, provisionals who were in the process and that three-year process that <laughs> that is so much, so much a part of, uh, mm -hmm. of, of the life of uh, our clergy excellence teams uh, and boom, uh, those they are also guaranteed an appointment. Mm -hmm. And I think associate members are as well, are guaranteed an so. appointment. That's so, um, but if you are a licensed local pastor, um, if you're a certified lay, um, if you're some of these other statuses that we talked about, um, if we don't have enough appointments, you there there may not be a, a room for them. Mm -hmm. um, and our transfers, and particularly, uh, is a is a, a challenging one. This, there's a tremendous amount of people transferring from some of the come. conferences yeah. that have had mass disaffiliations yes. in Texas and Alabama, West Florida, and. Uh, with both within the um, jurisdiction and also even outside, so we're we're hearing a lot from people trying to find positions mm -hmm. um, in church, in uh, conferences much harder hit than Virginia. We haven't had right. as many, near mm -hmm. as many, but um, I, I, which is one reason I've been saying to people, you need to call Jesse. Mm -hmm. You need to move <laughs> if you are if you are a certified lay lay, lay service minister. lay minister. You mm -hmm. need to become a licensed local pastor, and if you're a licensed mm -hmm. local pastor. And you've been at it for a while and finished all the requirements, become an associate mm -hmm. member. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, And if you have avoided right. getting into provisional, now would be the time yeah. to go into provisional. So those are all good things, all good movements to progress right. in the, the work that we do and to assure appointment making go mm -hmm. smoothly. Well, and historically, we've always been a conference that people have want to be part of. And so not just like the mass exodus because of disaffiliation, like we've always had other people from other conferences wanting to come. Mm -hmm. And so I guess we are a desirable We are conference. desirable, yes. <laughs> we're awesome. Well, yeah, show more stability. Um, yay, Virginia. But it's hard because there's, <laughs> even, there's yeah. even more this year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah a lot And more. so that's what's difficult because yeah. um, I think that the DSs and the cabinets want to care for our folks who are already yep. here, mm -hmm. but also be open to who God might be sending us as well. Yeah. 
So, so you both have referenced the new reality we're in, and, and we'll still figure yeah. out where we are going into right. 2024 and yes, whatnot. But how do you foresee um, our clergy statuses going forward in the church? I know, I think there was a Lewis Center mm -hmm. um, article a couple of years ago talking about how lay supply is really becoming yes. a larger, do mm -hmm. we see more lay supply in Virginia? Oh, yes, yes, we've yeah. been, we have a cohort this year and they have classes that mm -hmm. they take together and a lot of fellowship time and I think we're even gonna have a gathering, an annual conference, but we have seen an increase in lay supply also because it's the fastest entry point into a pulpit, mm -hmm. I would say, because if you want to be a licensed local pastor, you have to be a member of a church for at least one year, mm -hmm. and that doesn't apply to those who are lay supply. So I think that that might be part of the reason, but most of the time people will go on. But I would also say uh, we had 59 people apply for provisional membership on the front end this year, mm -hmm. and that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. You know, and some folks, you know, will draw from the process, won't get recommended by the DCOM their first year. And so some of those, like, don't make it all the way through to the interview process. But that is a good number. I will say our numbers for ordination have been steadily decreasing over the past three years. Um, but some of that is also due to what we're seeing as far as things um, like writing and ability to answer questions and to follow instructions. Like, we're seeing a decrease and the ability for candidates to have those really strong writing mm -hmm. skills. And so we're also wondering, what has COVID done to the process? What, um, what are universities teaching and expecting as far as paper writing? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a lot more involved in the interview process than the applicants themselves mm -hmm. that we're seeing. I, I, every SPRC, every church should want to have a well-educated clergy. Um, person at at, uh, yeah. uh, at at a minimum. So that's something that we work very hard on and something that Boom has done an excellent job of keeping a standard trying. that we're yeah. uh, that we're trying to make sure everybody mm -hmm. meets. So you don't want somebody who doesn't know theology and you don't want somebody who doesn't know Methodist theology. Right. So that's a that's a big issue. Mm -hmm. uh, um, we are the United Methodist Church. We appoint United Methodist pastors. They are expected to know theology, how to practice how to worship in a United Methodist Church, how to do the mm -hmm. basics, how to visit uh, uh, people, how to in the hospital and things like mm -hmm. that. So um, these minimums are important to mm -hmm. make sure that there is some consistency. Every local church is different. Trust me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they are they all, they all take their own take on it. Right? But family, there are some basics life. that everybody has the right to expect uh, yes. from the leadership that we send them. So well, I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah, because for people who might not be in the process or have loved ones in the process, they might not know what it means to come before the board, oh what they're goodness, being asked yeah. to do. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. And in the Methodist church, it takes in our conference and some conferences, it's nine years, but we require at least three years of provisional residency. It takes 10 years before people are able to be ordained. And, and two so, sets of exam of both paper yes. and in-person exams. So. Yes, the first set of interviews, four interviews, 45 minutes, with 15 breaks in between, mm -hmm. and a lot of papers. And the second set of interviews is three one-hour interviews with 15 minutes in between, and also requiring a half a unit of clinical pastoral education. Mm -hmm which is not in the discipline, but we require that in Virginia. It's like 400 hours. We require yeah. an additional preaching class. Yeah. So we have some extras that some conferences don't have because our expectation for excellence is high. It's high. And we revisit that sometimes because mm -hmm. we wonder if CP is keeping folks away because mm -hmm. um, they just can't do it. They don't have time to go to the hospital and be a chaplain. So we are always looking into that. 
but at this point we're we're keeping that but it's very vigorous yeah. it's a lot of work especially alongside being in seminary or serving a church or working a secular job it's a lot of work it's also quite expensive to yeah. uh, mm-hmm. have a seminary degree or to spend 5 years uh, doing the right. course of study mm-hmm. um, these are these are not inexpensive things so um, I'm, I'm, I'm are there, there's a yeah. tremendous, uh, amount of work that goes into it and it is incredibly valuable. And mm-hmm. so helping pastors to progress in that and to make, uh, make the next steps right. for themselves and helping churches to understand, um, the kind of, uh, of pastor that they're getting, yeah. um, are all a piece of all of our work. So. And our conference office, op- we offer funding for people. So we offer funding for those, um, who are going to seminary. We have grants and um, MEF loans, which are service loans, mm-hmm. which says that when you're done, that you'll come serve and you don't have to pay it back, pay it back with service. And then we also have, for those who are going on um, and doing COS, like licensed local pastors, we also have funds for that. So it is a cost um, for each individual, sure. but our conference does subsidize a lot mm-hmm. of those costs yeah. through apportionments that everyone gives. So scholarships that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And scholarships, scholarships yeah. so that folks can complete the things that are required. No. Thank you for explaining that because yeah. I think it's helpful for people to hear not only how our, whole thing. how our wonderful gifted <laughs> clergy, what yeah. they have to go through, right. but also how, you know, we value that. Yes. We value yes. that at our conference. Mm-hmm. In the same vein, so that people can understand Virginia in terms of churches, what does it look like? Are we more small churches? Sure. Okay. Most of our churches are under 100, and I would say probably a good percentage of those are under 50 mm-hmm. uh, or 50 or under. So uh, uh, most of our churches are um, spread out in the rural areas. So uh, that's uh, uh, that's the nature of it in, in my high demographic area where there's a lot of people all stacked on top of each other. Um, we have the fewest number of churches, I think, of all of the, of the districts. But we also have the most amount of clergy mm-hmm. because many of our churches are multiple clergy, which is something we haven't talked too much. Uh, there's a, a, a great call for associate pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, some in specific roles, but very often uh, just uh, helping a, a pastors when there's a church of say over three or four hundred people, you need an extra set mm-hmm. of hands that are that are fully trained. So, uh, and this is also a training ground for some of our newest pastors as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, some have a real calling to that that ministry. So Sarah and Jesse were not always a DS and in the conference office. They are pastors, and you have been in the local church. So. Yes. From that perspective and the perspective you have now, how can lay people celebrate and also support their clergy? Clergy who might be getting ready to move, clergy ready to come in, what can lay people do to support? One of the things we always tell um, pastors when they're uh, transitioning and they're like, I don't know what to say or do, and we always say, just go and love people. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for the congregation. Love the people that are called to you. You never know, um, you know, sometimes our churches have always had um, the same kind of pastor for a while, and then maybe they'll get somebody who's new or different, right. somebody with some diversity that isn't um, uh, the diversity that's in that congregation. Just love who comes. Um, pray for them. Um, help them with their success. Celebrate with them. Um, cry with them, the same as they would do for you. And uh, I think that goes a long way to helping people uh, come to understand each other better and to uh, to grow as disciples, both because pastors are still growing too. Uh, we, are, we are never at perfection. We are always working t- toward it. Um, but loving and praying for your pastor is really one of the most significant things that you can do for them. 
And there, you know, there's some practical and liturgical things that people can do too. Like I, I tell outgoing pastors with their SPRCs, one thing that's a gift is always make sure there's money in the moving fund. Yes. Always yes. make sure there's money in the parsonage fund yes. and build that up because each year that could change. And I think you can help a pastor with the move if they request it. I remember my first, my first appointment I got there. I didn't have a lot of stuff then. And in five minutes, like all my stuff was out and being unpacked by others. <laughs> and although I was thankful for that help, I, you know, so it's also asking the pastor, what do they need? Do, do they have a family? Do they not have a family? What are they? Are they looking for a gym, connecting them in the community, helping them see the major folks there and who to talk to? Um, I think that also liturgically, something that's really moving is to do um, the service yes, of yeah. receiving your mm-hmm. pastor. I can't remember the formal name yeah. for it right now, yeah. but um, and that's a really beautiful service. And I also think the SPRC chair has a unique role to prepare the congregation. Yes. So I think that it's helpful to plaster that person's picture everywhere mm-hmm. in like a little bio and also talk about the new pastor when you find out every Sunday, like when before pray for them before they come. And also, like, cheerleading that pastor. So even before they get there, you're already celebrating all the great things and not, you know, spreading anxiety and fear, but celebrating that this is something exciting. So there's a lot of things that you can do, you know. Something we do in our district is uh, when we have uh, cross-cultural, cross-racial appointments, we also do some special training around that so that it's not just the work of the pastor to figure out how to do this work, but it's the work of the whole congregation together. Uh, including the pastor to do mm-hmm. the work of receiving somebody mm-hmm. um, cross-racially or cross-culturally. So that's a, a piece of the work. Um, paying people, surprisingly enough, sometimes is an issue. So uh, making sure that yes. the church's finances are in order so that it mm-hmm. knows ahead of time what it can afford and what it can't mm-hmm. afford, that, that goes into some of the um, work that we're doing now in the appointment process. Um, and making sure that um, that people have, for example, uh, my churches in Northern Virginia are starting to have fewer and fewer parsonages. So mm-hmm. the pa- pastors are yes. being offered housing allowances. Mm-hmm. Housing allowances have to be enough for somebody to rent or yes. to um, uh, either a house or an apartment that would have three bedrooms and two bath, which is the standard mm-hmm. uh, for uh, a parsonage in the in the conference. So, um, making sure that there's enough money to do that mm-hmm. um, is very important. So that a right. pas- so that the first thing a pastor does isn't try and find a place to live, and there's no, either no place yeah. to live, which is not uncommon in Northern Virginia, right. or that there's enough money to make sure that their family can can be there. Um, in a reasonable place. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially housing is not great oh, across the board. Yeah, so is, that's, yeah. Amen. But Amen churches do not get rid of your parsonages. Take care of them. Because uh, the other thing is arriving at a parsonage that is not in good shape, where mm-hmm. the roof is leaking or you know, nobody's, nobody's cleaned it out. or, or there's that snakes. Can, there's, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. my. I haven't had snakes. Oh. Mice. Oh, definitely I had mice. a snake. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> but I think that's a great example because yeah. we would not want to live in a situation exactly. like that. Like yeah. you can show your love by welcoming your pastor to yes. say, we would live here too. Yes. So. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think writing cards is also mm-hmm. really nice, like either before they come or right after they get there, collecting them so you can present them because that's a way people can feel welcomed and also start getting to know people in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and also something really great you can do is you can do meals for your pastor the first week or give them a DoorDash card or stock the fridge in the parsonage. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many... And if they have kids or special interests, like leaving some things like that there, like I know they made this little gift basket for my son and that was really exciting for him. So, but I think it's unique to each congregation. And it's also fun if you get things from the area, 
like mm. gift cards from the area so they can try out the different diners, yeah all the local yeah. places yeah. and it's just it helps them to know where to go and where to try and I think that's also a really beautiful gift that can be received by you know a church to a pastor something also is to remember not to forget to say goodbye to right. the pastoral family that's mm-hmm. moving. Um, sometimes once it's announced, everybody kind of like, oh, yeah, here you are. It was nice knowing you. But, but saying goodbye to yeah. the pastor and maybe their family sure. and their way out the door, celebrating their ministry together. Um, and uh, there's a ritual that's also a closing of ministry, yes. um, which is also yeah. a good thing where everybody says, you know, all kinds of stuff happened Thank over you. the time we've been here. So, you know, yeah. let's uh, forgive and forgive each other and go forth as uh, Jesus would have us do. So that's an important part of the process of mm-hmm. you, it's harder to welcome if you haven't also right. said goodbye and kind of closed that That's door true. Yeah. All right. I'm going to open up the floor to either one of you. Oh. Is there anything else about appointments that you think maybe there's some misconceptions about or just anything about um, this process that you think people should understand? I think it's really important for people to understand that this is a spiritual process. Mm-hmm. This is a covenant, a promise made between the pastor and uh, the conference and the local church. Um, and it is prayed over. I mean, the time that we spend here, we open every single day that we make appointments with worship and with prayer. Um, we pray for the people that are receiving uh, new pastors. We pray for the pastors that are in transition. We pray for the Spirit to intervene in situations that we don't have an answer for. Um, this is an extremely prayerful process, and I think people think it's like baseball cards. You know, I'll trade you two licensed mm-hmm. local pastors for a for an elder. That doesn't work like that. That's not how it is. Right. It is each and every church is held up and described and prayed over. Each and every pastor possibility is also considered and prayed over. It is just really a very deeply spiritual thing. And when I was a pastor, I would not have believed that. I, mm-hmm. I would not have understood that. I thought it was just this magical thing that happened somewhere else. And as a member of an SPRC, also we think, oh, it's, they're just going to send us a bad appointment because we, you know, didn't pay all our apportionments or we ticked somebody mm-hmm. off at the conference office. Again, it is really important to us and makes our life so much easier if we can make a good appointment to a church that receives them well and everybody gets to go off and do the work that Jesus mm-hmm. put in front of us to make disciples and to um, transform the world together. Um, it is a lot more work if we do a, a bad job of that or if it doesn't work out for some reason. So right. um, we are rooting for all of these to be good mm-hmm. appointments. So. And I would say too, I think every year around this time, People are afraid their DS is going to call them. They're like, and sometimes we do. And sometimes they do. But I would also say that you know, pastors and churches have a part in this process. I mean, that's why they fill out that form. And there's a couple options. It's for both of them. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yes, we're working together well. Eh, I don't know. The pastor can go or stay. It's okay. And then like, get me out of here or get the pastor out of here. Mm-hmm. And I think that the DSs and cabin and the bishop really look. I mean, it's not. You shouldn't be surprised about where you're going because your DS has had a conversation with you, your SPRC is, I mean, sometimes things come up and we do look at the missional needs and we have to make those kind of faster appointments that don't give people as much time as they would normally have. But that's more rare. That's about 10% of that. That's more rare than the regular appointments that are being made. So Mm -hmm. it's not like a mystery or something to be afraid of um, if you're staying in regular communication with your district superintendent and your leadership. So I would also say that. I mean, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you both so much. I think I hope this yeah. information has been helpful to all our viewers. I think it's been good to really talk about this process that takes up the life of our church, but it's important work. So, but thank you so much. And yeah. this is a wrap on episode three.